This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who, true to form, went into research with one point of view and came out with at least a little bit more understanding attitude. And I'm Vivada, the girl who first romanced today's subject when I was sitting in the Liberty Center of my first duty station in the Navy playing on a public Xbox 360 with my memory card. Do you remember memory cards? I do. I still have a lot of them. Like, I still have an old Xbox that I can play over at my mom's house. So, yeah. I think my mom has all of our memory cards, too. Nice. If you are new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler-free, then this is not the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7. Can't wait till you finally make it to DA2. And just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume that you have some background knowledge of the game and characters in question but we will be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. In today's episode, we're still in Kirkwall, and the subject of our episode has a grudge against all mages. It's almost as big as his sword. He's moody, broody, and also a cutie. Today, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite emo elf, Fenris. Do we have to use the word favorite? I guess he is my favorite emo elf, because he does have one of the sexiest voices in video games. I escaped a land of dark magic, only to have it hunt me at every turn. It is a plague burned into my flesh and my soul. Fenris is an escaped, enslaved person from the Tevinter Imperium, and, more specifically, his former owner, Magister Denarius. The Tevinter Imperium, for those of you who don't know, is a land to the north of Orlais and Navarra, and it is a place where magic is the law of the land. This is the land that built their empire on the bones of the Arlathon and tainted the Golden City beyond the Vale, causing the first and every subsequent blight. If there's one lesson they refuse to learn, it's how dangerous magic can be. I still think of it as Arlathan. I swear someone said Arlathan once in the game, so I feel like no one knows how to say that. I think he, he I don't get, pronounces oh. it Arlathan. Yeah, I've heard Arlathan and I've heard Arlathan and I'm just, I don't even know. Don't even know. They need to, I'm sure like one of the writers has been like, it's this way. But we might ignore them like the guy who created GIFs. We don't say GIFs, okay? <laughs> no. He says it's supposed to be GIF and he's wrong. Okay, the guy who made them. Anyway. I don't want to get too in the mud on this because you can just go listen to the Dragon Age Lorecast's episodes on Androstianism, but there are two main sects within this major religion in Thetis, and that is the Orlesian Chantry and the Imperial Chantry. The main and key difference between them is how they interpret this one line from the Chant of Light, magic exists to serve man and never to rule over him. The Orlesian Chantry the one we're most familiar with, as it is the sect in Ferelden and the Free Marches, interprets this to mean that mages are dangerous and should be kept tightly controlled. The Imperial Chantry, the one in the Deventer Imperium, interpreted this to mean that mages should be involved in government and use magic to make life easier and better. Allegedly. At the time in Theodos' history when the Chant of Light became the standard Bible of the people, Tevinter had already had influential mages, and they were not keen on changing the status quo. In fact, this only served to strengthen their hold over the political and social fabrics of the Imperium. This is how we have a vastly different society in the Imperium from the ones that we've seen in Ferelden, Orlais, and the Free Marches in the first three Dragon Age games. 
The society is also why there is a booming slave trade in the Imperium. They invaded and colonized the Elven homeland and have enslaved the people ever since. Like Fenner said in the clip we played a minute ago, he is forever marked by magic and, by extension, his enslavement to Daenerys. Daenerys forced him to undergo an incredibly painful ritual to etch intricate markings into his skin that are infused with lyrium. These markings grant him the ability to phase through solid objects, becoming corporeal and incorporeal at will. This ability is somehow connected to the Fade, and he mostly uses it offensively, such as phasing through adversaries and then solidifying, killing them instantly. Yuck. These markings are apparently extremely sensitive, too, so he has learned an aversion to being touched. I get it. I do. And this ritual also left him without any memory of who he was or anything about his life before. After some time living as an enslaved person, remembering no life other than that of enslavement, he fled to Kirkwall. Daenerys obviously did not just let Fenris walk away, not after all the effort his gift was to Fenris with his unique markings. Fenris's life became one of evading capture and setting free any other enslaved people he comes across. He feels no remorse towards killing those who enslave people, and he is extremely distrustful of mages, even the friendly ones. He believes that magic is dangerous in any form, and people who can wield it are often too spiritually weak to its many temptations. Mm-hmm. I mean... Is he really wrong, though? Every problem in Thetis can be traced back to magic. We wouldn't have Darkspawn or Blights or Red Lyrium if it wasn't for Tevinter Magisters. We wouldn't have the Fade if it wasn't for Solus, a mage. And we wouldn't have demand for regular Lyrium if it wasn't for mages. And Cullen has to overcome an addiction simply because, as a Templar, he had to use the same stuff mages do to be strong enough to fight them if necessary. Mages are very dangerous, especially to all the non-mages around them. They're also dangerous to themselves by way of abominations. Magic for us as players is amazing and powerful and fun, but I would not want to live in a world where magic is as it is in Thetis. If that was real, no way. Uh, the part of me that thinks way too highly of herself says, Oh yeah, you could manage. You've wished you'd had magic powers since you were a kid. But then the part of me that is way too harsh says, you dumbass, you'd fall prey to a demon at the first chance. So I don't think it would be smart for me to live in Thetis either. But that is where Hawk first meets Fenris. So we're both in Thetis tonight. <laughs> we meet them during the quest Bait and Switch, where he enlists Hawk's help in clearing out Daenerys' mansion in Hightower and killing his bounty hunters. His establishing character moment is seriously badass. A bounty hunter approaches him from behind and calls him Slave. Fenris really hates it when people call him that, for good reason. And he uses his ability to phase his hand into the bounty hunter's chest before solidifying it again and crushing his heart. Damn. Damn. But when Hawk and Fenris finish clearing the mansion, Tenarius isn't there. Of course. Because that'd just be too easy. Now, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. V really, really likes Fenris. So all the clips tonight are a little bit long. Tell me, what do you do when you stop running? You take a breath and look around and start anew. I don't know how. My first memory is receiving these markings, the lyrium being branded into my flesh. The agony wiped away everything. Whatever life I had before I became a slave, it's lost. I shouldn't trouble you with this. My problems are not yours. I might be able to help with your problems. Or give you a few more. <laughs> Only a few. It depends if I really work at it. Tempting. You're a beautiful woman, Hawk. Is there no one else who has your attention? Do you see anyone else here? 
I'm an escaped slave and an elf living in a borrowed mansion. None of those things bother you. And I'm a refugee as well as a human. Does that bother you? You have me there. You raise an interesting point. I'll have to consider it. I kind of like how mature that is, though. Like, I'll have to consider it, you know? It is a little robotic, though. I'll give you that. This mission ends, and we're recruiting Fenris because we're going to romance him. Duh. Fenris stays in Daenerys' mansion for the rest of the game. And it's heavily implied that it's due to the wine cellar Daenerys had because he has some good wine. It is thanks to this fancy-ass wine that we learn really anything about Fenris. He gets a lot more free with his words when he's a bit drunky. Who can blame him? The life he can remember is one endless trauma. Also, not to rag on Isabella, but at one point in her party banter in Dragon Age 2, she can comment on how she fantasizes about Daenerys oiling up Fenris. Fenris has admitted to having been forced to do more than just bodyguard work for Daenerys. So given Isabel's extremely troubling past with the slave trade, that whole thing is really gross to me. Don't really like that. I know they get into like a friends with benefits relationship too, if neither of them are romanced. And it's just, it's just the whole thing's weird. It is a little weird. Uh, but getting tipsy and saying more than you intended. Oh Yeah. I feel that one. By the end of our anniversary episode, the wine was for sure kicking in. And there are also bruises on my legs from a drunken escapade not that long ago. So, Fenris, I get it. But as for Izzy's comment, I want to think that she made it from a horny mindset and not really thinking about his past. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know... Fenris all oiled up. The man's got abs for days. And then I'm also thinking, like, what would the what would these little glowy lines look like all shiny and sparkly? Thinking it from that standpoint is not like I don't like the fact that she's specifically saying that she wishes it was Daenerys doing the oiling. That makes it bad. I guess it's just hard for me to suspend belief enough to think that Isabella wouldn't know about his past because that's all Fenris wants to talk about is how he is an escaped slave. And then also just, I know that he would get oiled and like he says his markings are really sensitive. So then I'm like, it's another form of torture just being touched for him. So like the whole thing is just awful for Fenris and I don't like that. Yeah. I don't know if she knows about the sensitive bits of his markings, but she definitely knows he's a slave. Sorry, Izzy. That's it's not good. I mean, she does... Dragon Age 2 takes place after her comics, in which case she's redeeming herself. So, that's good. Yeah. That is good. But really, that's all we have for Fenris in Act 1. We get some trauma from his past re-emerging when we see to Venter slavers sent by Daenerys's apprentice, Hadriana, where they attempt to recapture him. This is a random encounter if you are moving around outside of Kirkwall with Fenris in your party, such as being out by the bone pit. This ambush begins a quest, a bitter pill, and you need to do this quest quickly once it is started or you will fail and Fenris will leave the party. It will take you to an abandoned slaver den where you can have a face-off with Hadriana. Mm-hmm. In this quest, you can also meet another escaped enslaved person named Orana. You can give her some money to help her on her way, or you can offer her a job at your estate. Fenris will get very upset at first, misunderstanding your intentions and believing you intend to further enslave Orana. He apologizes quickly when you clarify that she would be hired, not enslaved. Fenris is on a hair trigger at all times because for as long as he can remember, it's fight or flight. He's been trained to be a badass attack dog by Daenerys, and that's worked out too well. I'm sure Daenerys did not foresee how powerful and strong-willed Fenris would become, or how intent he is to be free. You can make Orana a slave, but we're intentionally ignoring that option, because what kind of socially unwell person would choose that? Especially during Fenris's personal quest. Once you reach Hadriana, she'll attack you right away, because she's a bitch. Upon her inevitable defeat, she will try to bargain with Fenris, offering information on his supposed sister in exchange for her life. No matter what you choose, 
Fenris will kill her and then storm off in his own emo self. Find him brooding in your mansion to complete the quest. I thought discovering my past would bring a sense of belonging, but I was wrong. Magic has tainted that too. There is nothing for me to reclaim. I am alone. I'm here, Fenris. I don't know, he just makes me think, it was never a phase. <laughs> so, we throw in some missions, some Kunari problems, Fenris flexing his knowledge of Kunlat, which is impressive, given he's illiterate, and that wraps up Act 2. Kind of. Before we finish with Fenris, <laughs> we need to take a mid-break. Then I promise Jen will get down and dirty with our blue wraith boy. Fenris fun facts! <laughs> The voice actor for Fenris is Gideon Emery, who has done quite a lot of other voice acting for many other games. He also voiced the Templar Samson in both DA2 and DAI. And you might remember Samson as Corypheus's number one douche canoe. He is also the super sexy and man I wish was the love interest in Final Fantasy XII. Baltier. Oh. Okay. So also, in the Blue Wraith comic, issue number three, we also get to see Fenris before he got his Lyrium tattoos. And he was blonde. The ritual is what turned his hair into the anime-esque white that we see today. He sure rocks that look, though. And speaking of Fenris's past, his name before the ritual was Leto, Leto is also the name of a goddess in the ancient Greek pantheon. She is the mother of the twin deities Apollo and Artemis, and is often associated with wolves. Speaking of wolves, the name Fenris is actually the same name as Fenrir, the more commonly known name of the wolf child of Loki in Angerboda, who kills Odin during Ragnarok. I do love me some interpantheon Easter eggs and mythology. So good. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so this is a throwback. Uh, back when we first started this podcast, we were acting asking about all of the little mundane moments of life that really make a relationship whole and make it feel real. And so we asked people to join the Discord and drop us your hashtag mundane moment. Now, back on January 10th, of 2022, I wrote in our show notes that a teacup from the Dragon Age lore cast says that he thinks that Hawk and Fenris would argue over if the dog can sleep in the bed or not. And that just makes me smile. Aww. It feels like when you say it's just past January, like that wasn't that long ago, but it feels like a long time ago. It was. Well, a lot has changed since then. And now T and I have like a healthy little rivalry about this character specifically. I was like, I didn't hate Fenris back then. I don't hate him now. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Does Teacup hate Fenris? No, T loves him. That's what I thought. I was like, I thought me and Teacup agreed about Anders and we were agreement on Fenris too. Oh, yeah. No, mm -hmm. I was just like, I didn't know who Fenris was back in January. What's wrong with you? I hadn't played it yet. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I know. I've known who he was since he was a thing. <laughs> My hipster when it comes to Fenris. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, so now it is time to thank the patrons. Toasty and Apollo. Shanko and Mystheos. Win and Bat Knight. Thank you. Thank you. And shout-outs to our two newest patrons. Are you kidding me? Jessica Starr and Biffy. I see what you did there. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, for joining in. Appreciate. Thank you so much for being patrons. It really helps us out because this is a lot of work. <laughs> Super fun, though. All right. Speaking of fun... Let's get back to Fenris and his sexy time scene. Sexy time scene. All right. 
Here we go. Thinking about what happened with Hadriana, I took out my anger on you, undeservedly so. I was not myself. I'm sorry. I had no idea where you went. I was concerned. I needed to be alone. When I was still a slave, Hadriana was a torment. She would ridicule me, deny my meals, pound my sleep. Because of her status, I was powerless to respond, and she knew it. The thought of her slipping out of my grasp now. I couldn't let her go. I wanted to, but I couldn't. I'm glad you killed her then. I should be happy now that Hadriana is dead. Instead, I feel nothing but disquiet. This hate. I thought I'd gotten away from it. But it dogs me no matter where I go. To feel it again. To know it was they who planted it inside me. It was too much to bear. Ah, but I didn't come here to burden you further. You don't need to leave, Fenris. a lot to talk about with the Fenris scene. Okay? We've talked before about how there are two different versions of each romance, the friendly and the rival. This scene only makes sense to me as a rival. The buildup isn't romantic or flirty or even a consent contract. What we see is an angry warrior slamming his partner up against the wall. Did you hear that at the end of the clip? It goes from, the hate is too much for me to bear, to I'm here for you, to wall slam. And then yes, Hawk flips the script and shoves him up against the wall too. I'm Natalie Imbruglia over here. I am so torn by how I feel about this. Can this be seen as a lusty and overwhelming desire that just takes over Fenris? Or is it just a shitty situation that perpetuates the trope that violence can be hot? With a friend, Vance, you were trying to get him to open up about his emotions surrounding his past. You reach out to comfort, and you get slammed into a wall in response. But with the rival man's, it does feel a little bit like it's a tension buildup that sparks into a fuck. So yeah, that's where I'm at. I know for damn sure that in Inquisition, wall slamming comes up again, and I have fully consented and spoken with my partner about what that is, and it is allowed. Hmm. But with Fenris, I don't know. The kissing is sexy. And so is his face. But yeah. It's not for me. A few other things, though. Okay. The morning after banter did make me chuckle. Because of the male hawk dialogue. I love a good innuendo line. Was it that bad? I'm sorry, it's not... It was fine. No, that is insufficient. It was better than anything I could have dreamed. It can be a lot to take in, I know. <laughs> That's a good one. It's a good one. But after that, he ends up leaving you. I don't get this man at all. Anders tells me he loves me. Izzy says she wants to keep things fun and casual. And Meryl just wants to know where the relationship stands. But Fenris? Like, is this post-nut clarity? You have sex for the first time and realize it's not for you, so you break up and ditch out? I don't know, dude. It just feels off for me. I want to provide some context to the wall slam in the video. Hawk grabs his shoulder or his arm and I interpret that to mean because his markings are sensitive, 
and he's being hunted for the last, at this point, six years of his life, that he reacted because it was painful and realized what he did, which is why he immediately backed away. Which I'm not defending it, obviously, but like at the same time, in the context of who Fenris is and what he's had to do, I understand that reaction for both rival man's and friendship man. She touched him, and that was why he was like, oh my god, I'm being attacked. Because the only times we've seen him being touched up until this point is literally slavers trying to capture him again, right? But I see, I can understand your point of view. I still, I don't interpret this at all the same way that you do. Obviously, I like him. I romance him. For his reason that he left in the morning or the, whenever it happened afterwards, this moment of passion for Fenris caused his memories of his past life to filter through his haze of pain that wiped them all away before. Like this was the first time since his markings were put on his body that he remembered anything about who Leto was. And it was too much for him to bear. We joke that Fenris is emo and broody and at times melodramatic. And I would argue that he's a tortured soul, quite literally, and he's struggling mightily to maintain his sense of self. He's clung to his identity as an escaped slave, and memories from before he was enslaved are messing with his understanding of his place in the world. I've seen people say on the internet that Fenner speaks so oddly compared to the other companions. He does kind of sound poetic like Solus, but not quite to that extreme. I think part of it is because he's speaking a different language. He's native languages ostensibly be to Venter Imperium language, however, whatever they speak. And part of it is because the gravity of his words match the solemnity of his life. For me, I don't think it's a post-nut clarity thing. I think it's just like he hasn't known anything but abuse. And that was too much for him to see his life before. And he had to have space. And I honestly think that was the healthiest choice for him to make. And Anders might say that he loves you, but he leaves no matter what. And Fenris, even if you side with the mages, if he's romanced you, he will stay by you. That is true. If you have 100% rivalry or friendship with him, he will stay by your side. When does Anders leave? At the end, he always leaves. He blows up the Chantry and leaves. <laughs> but he doesn't leave in my playthrough because I romanced him and I spare his life and then he's with me till the end. What happens after that? Varric tells me that uh, Hawk and Blondie Bear are still together. Oh, then I guess he can stay with you. Happily ever after. I've always had him leave or die. I honestly didn't know he could survive or stay with Hawk in any way. I thought it was like soulless, like he just left no matter what you did. Mm-mm. No. Well, good for you. <laughs> Fenris has the most baggage by far. I like. We'll get to it later, but I don't think a romance is what should be done for him in the game. Even though I do it. Well, I, I did it, I should say. I only played this game once. I mean, I I, I feel like we can totally tangent here. Because it's like, I kind of get it. I do. I feel like building up Fenris's friendship is good for him. I just don't know if sleeping with him in Act 2 is what he needs. Yeah. I mean, he thought it was. I think it's important to note, like, I mean, he consented to it and then he afterwards like i don't want to use the term post not clarity because i don't think that's what happened it wasn't like oh i regret having sex with you it was just like i just realized i'm not ready for this and he left and he makes up for that later but still i mean like that does suck can i get it at least it is a literal post not clarity because the act of him having sex unlocks all those memories so now he has clarity I, it on is his literal past. the connotation <laughs> of that phrase though i don't think is appropriate for this yeah no i agree still i think we just need to say the phrase one more time because it's fucking hilarious post nut clarity <laughs> okay so let's get back to it talk more about this controversial elf boy. There are two stories to Fenris. One is his attempt at remaining free, but the other is his inner battle with his trauma and his desire for vengeance. Not justice. Vengeance. He'll tell you how he only realized he wanted to be free when he was rescued by fog warriors after he was separated from Daenerys after a battle. The fog warriors are freedom fighters from the jungles of Saharahan trying to liberate it from both the Tevinter Imperium and the Kunari. 
They nursed him back to health, and he lived with them for a few months until Daenerys tracked him down. Daenerys ordered him to kill the warriors, and he complied without question. He was horrified by the extent of his brainwashing, and that was when he became determined to be free of his enslavement. Ugh, sounds so terrible. Of course, Fenris needs to protect himself from Daenerys and any he employs to find him. By the time we meet Fenris, he's already been on the run for three years. And now we're a further three years in, so at this point, like I said, Fenris has been on the run from Daenerys for six years. And Daenerys is just a physical obstacle to Fenris' true freedom, however, because his past trauma are the real chains holding him back now. And this is precisely why he says he feels empty when he kills Hadriana. It reminded me of The Last of Us Part 2, when Abby finally got her revenge on Joel. It didn't make anything better, did it? This situation is a bit different because part of it is Fenris having to defend himself because Hadrian was actively pursuing him, but any healing bomb he hoped her death would bring was missing when he finally literally crushed her heart. That level of hatred can't just be snuffed out with her last breath. The way Fenris contextualizes himself in the world is shifting, and that kind of change is never easy. Three years later, in Act 3, he is still trying to figure out his new place in the world. Daenerys is also still not dead, so that threat continues to loom over him. This is where his personal quest, alone, comes in. He apparently found out information about his sister's whereabouts, and he wants Hawk to come with him to help meet her. Of course, when you do, it was a trap, and Daenerys is there. He had promised to make his sister his apprentice in exchange for luring Fenris. Wow, way to care about your family. I guess we can't really blame her. The Tevinter Imperium is a hard place to survive, and it seems impossible not to step on other people to get ahead there. If you are an absolute sociopath, you can turn Fenris in here to Daenerys, but don't do that. Verenia at least tells Fenris about his past a bit, such as his name was Leto, that life has been hard since their mother died, and that he had actually competed for the lyrium markings he had in order to free his mother and sister from enslavement. He didn't know that he was competing for the lyrium markings, of course, but it must have been quite a shock to learn that the thing he hates the most about himself was something he apparently volunteered for. He can kill his sister here too, but... If she lives, she'll tell you it hasn't been easy surviving as a freed, enslaved person, so she's not even thankful for Fenris's sacrifice. At every turn, every glimmer of hope for Fenris to move on is revealed to be just shit. Like, he thinks the answers are in the past, and they're just never there. Yeah. This is the part where I start to, like, feel really bad for him. I get it. To a point. I said a little bit more in the beginning of the episode. So yeah, <laughs> but let's take a listen to this. It's just difficult to overlook the stain that magic has left on my life. If I seem bitter, it's not without cause. Perhaps it is time to move forward. I just don't know where that leads. Do you? You're still blaming magic for everything. Think about it, Hawk. Look at what happened to your mother, your sister, so many others. Is there anyone whose life has been touched by magic that actually benefits? You make a good point. There are problems enough in this world without putting such power in the hands of those too weak to resist its allure. Them I fear, as should you, as should anyone. But what's important now is moving forward. I only wish I knew where that led. Wherever it leads. I hope it means we'll stay together. That is my hope as well. We have never discussed what happened between us three years ago. You didn't want to talk about it. I felt like a fool. I thought it better if you hated me. I deserve no less. But it isn't better. That night, I remember your touch as if it were yesterday. I should have asked your forgiveness long ago. I hope you can forgive me now. I need to understand why you left, Fenris. 
I've thought about the answer a thousand times. The pain, the memories it brought up. It was too much. I was a coward. If I could go back, I would stay. Tell you how I felt. What would you have said? Nothing could be worse than the thought of living without you. Oh, I don't know. This might be fun to hold over you a while longer. If there is a future to be had, I will walk into it gladly at your side. Therapy. All of Kirkwall, if not all of Theodos as a whole, needs therapy. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I'm such a sucker. I would... That apology was so sincere. And also, that's the thing, is like, at the time that he runs out on you... You know him well enough to understand why he did it. I'm sure Hawk was still hurt by it, obviously. But it doesn't sound like she's holding it against him. She's fine with it. They come back together right here, and then they're, he's ready at that point. And I think that is good. I said this in the chat with people, but like, I don't think necessarily that they were at the healthiest place. Like, Obviously, he recognized that, which is why he left. But... That doesn't mean that they can't get to a healthy place for a relationship, you know? I mean, in real life, we would have therapy and you would work on yourself. You might need time away. I mean, this is Dragon Age, but like, if we're going to treat these characters like real people, that's what he did. He had some time away. I don't think they have therapists in Kirkwall. But he does come out of a shell, like outside of the relationship. He goes from being this recluse to playing cards regularly with other companions. You know, he's opening himself up, literally becoming more vulnerable. And so that's why it took a long time. But who can blame him for taking that long? You know, he didn't know anything but suffering before. He probably didn't trust anybody. It takes a long time to learn how to trust, even if you haven't been completely broken and enslaved, literally. So I love all of that clip. <laughs> Definitely everyone needs therapy, though. It's good. And he he does sound sincere. And I really do feel that from him. I think that he honestly worked on himself off screen. I wish that it didn't take him three years to come back to tell me that, you know, like maybe a couple of months after like, hey, I'm sorry that I walked out on you. I think specifically it was the line that, um, you know, we never talked about what happened between us three years ago. I think if it had been implied that there had been multiple conversations throughout that three years, that it would have made it feel better to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. No, when I heard that, I'm like, that's just a feature of the gameplay and the timeline they had to make these acts specifically fit into. But I'm like, if this were real life, that would never happen to me. I'm like, the second it happens, I'm like, I'll give you a day and then you better have an explanation for why you walked out on me. You know, like, I'm not going to wait three years and be like, you just take all the time you need. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, I would not wait that long. No, at that point, I would have been dating somebody else. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. We have sex one time and I'm like, I'll wait for you to return from the sea. No. <laughs> nope. Nope. Oh, okay. And this brings us to the penultimate mission where Anders blows up the Chantry. <laughs> yes. Where Anders blows up the Chantry. Guess who wants to kill Anders? Yeah. Fenris. Big surprise there. Anders is basically everything Fenris hates. And what's funny about that is Anders and Fenris are foils to one another. Bioware sure likes to take the same character, tweak one major thing, usually their childhoods, make them companions, and hate each other. Please see Jack and Miranda. Both Anders and Fenris are enslaved in some way. Both hate their oppressors and are ruled by that hate. And both like to play misery poker. They say that they've had it worse. Yeah. I hate that. Oh, no, it wasn't that bad because actually I had it worse. Shut up. <laughs> Don't compare pain. It's all relative. Right? Because as soon as you said that, it reminded me of the opening to, or the the way that Deadpool does it with his girlfriend in the movies. Oh, yeah? Well, I used to do this. And I used to have that. Now I'm picturing 
Anders. <laughs> it's Deadpool. <laughs> or maybe, would it be, I don't know who would be Deadpool. Anders, because he can get regenerative powers from justice. We'll go with that. I don't know. Let's move on. I don't know. The major difference between Fenris and Anders, I might be biased, is that Fenris can see reason. He can be convinced he is wrong. He hates mages, but he will love a mage, Hawk, and he will befriend Bethany. It's impossible to talk sense to Anders, at least until it's too late. Maybe that's because he's technically an abomination, so he can't. Or, like Solus, he has to cling to his beliefs because he's already too far gone down that path. He did blow up the Chantry. He started a war. And we have to fight in that war. But we get this cute dialogue before the final fight. I may not get the chance to say this again. Meeting you was the most important thing that ever happened to me, Hawk. Promise me you won't die. I can't bear the thought of living without you. I don't make that promise unless you do. Nothing is going to keep me from you. Oh, okay. Like that. I really, really like that. Why did he have to wait until the very last moment in order to be a total sweetheart? I don't know. <laughs> no. I'm still Team Anders, but I am now not Team Fuck Off Fenris. But that's all we have for Fenris and Hawk. And maybe we'll see him again fighting slavers and bad mages in Dragon Age Dreadwolf. But for now, what we know comes from Varric's narration at the end of the game and Fenris's Blue Wraith comics. He's still kicking mage and slaver ass. So I know you kind of gave your sex scene rating, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say that that's a weak sex scene too, so I definitely agree with you. Um, as for the romance, I just want to like clarify that when I romanced Fenris, I was 20 years old. Uh, I had never dated anyone yet at this point in my life. I was a late bloomer by some standards. And, you know, he was like damaged goods and I could fix him with my love. And that was like my drug. So I love Fenris. And now as a 31 year old, I'm like, okay, you're cute. But like, it felt over the top for me. Like, oh, I don't want to live without you. Neither do I. That's not who I am anymore. <laughs> so like, that doesn't do anything for me anymore. But it was super great as a 20 year old V. So as far as his romance goes, I love that he allows Hawk in, that he like breaks down his walls. He's still somehow able to be vulnerable after all this time as an enslaved person, as a fugitive fighting for his life for six years. It's crazy. I don't know how he could even be like that. <laughs> I don't want to compare him to a dog, but like as a former animal shelter employee and you see these like horribly abused animals who like learn to trust again. That's what he makes me think of, honestly, though. You know, like dogs just, they always forgive. And that's what Fenris did, too. <laughs> I gave him a gen face palm. But like, literally, is it really that far of a stretch? His name is Fenris. Anyway, I like that that happened. But also, I don't know what a future for their romance would look like. I mean, Fenris, to me, it's like, he was attached so long to his identity as an escaped slave, as a former slave. And then now he's finally gone past that. But now he's like, I am Hawk's boyfriend. I kind of think he needs to make his own purpose, find his own place in the world a little bit, you know, because one of the things I don't like about the romance is I don't know if you know this, but in Dragon Age 2, I know you know this, Jen, I mean, the listener, their outfits change after you've romanced them and Fenris's changes by adding like a red wristband and he gets the hawk and a mel crest on his belt once he's been romanced and to me that feels cringy because it's kind of like a mark of ownership in a way i don't really like that so i don't know if they could have come up with a better way to change his outfit than literally put a stamp of ownership like right above his dick <laughs> i mean come on anyway for the full game his journey as a character at the end, he's at a place where I think he could be in a relationship. But it just happens too soon for him. Hopefully they went on to have a happily ever after. But we kind of know that they don't because in the Blue Wraith comics, he's off doing his own thing. And 
Hawks standing on the battlements at Skyhold, <laughs> doing nothing. So I guess they're long distance. Jen's holding a lot of things back. I'll let her go now. I'm sorry, but I think I just figured out that I'm going to name my next Dragon Age 2 character Mike. And Mike? Mm-hmm. And he's going to romance Fenris. Is that a joke I should get? Yeah, V, say that full name out loud three times fast. Mike and Fenris? No, no, no. What's what's the, the character's name? Mike Hawk? Say it three times. Mike Hawk? <laughs> oh, I don't hope I didn't wake up my kid. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did not get that at all. It was very delayed. I've had a lot of wine. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Is that literally why you were laughing the whole time? Is just because you thought about Mike? <laughs> well, no, as soon as you said the, the belt... Um, like over the the crest over, and you were like, oh, right over his dick, and then I was like, okay, <laughs> yep, that's Mike Hawk. Yeah, I didn't know how else to take that. He's wearing like a red wristband, which gave me weird like World War Two vibes, and then the Hawk Amel crest on his belt buckle. Like this dick's mine. Don't touch it. You know, like what is that about? I I don't know either. I mean, so I'm married. I wear a wedding ring. I also have a tattoo on my ring finger. Jason and I have matching tattoos. But this is something that we decided to get together. Is is Hawk sporting any little wolfies on their armor? Is there anything... I, I can do a quick Google, but to my knowledge, Hawk doesn't change. It's the companions that like get their appearance gets altered when you romance them. They get different armor or something. In fairness, this is just that. He gets an armband and a belt buckle which honestly is like the weakest one too because the rest of them get like full outfit changes actually i'm not sure about anders but isabel and meryl look completely different yeah no anders is um armor complete it turns into like a more wintry armor i don't know how to describe it but it looks fuzzier and more comfy and he looks richer <laughs> he looks huggable because he's a kitten yeah yeah so i i do have a lot of feelings about fenris and I think I like him a lot more now than I did in my own playthrough. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, of course, listening to his episode on the Dragon Age lore cast and uh, listening to, you know, just a lot of people on discords and chatting about him and other people who have romanced him. And then, of course, watching his full romance on this and going kind of experiencing everything scene by scene. I understand Fenris a lot more now than I did when I played it myself because I saw him. He was like, no, fuck your mage sister. That's not cool. I don't want anything to do with mages. And I'm like, no, Bethany is Bethany. We are not going to do anything to hurt her. Mm -hmm. And Well, he says like she's a viper or something. Like he comes off real mean at first. Oh, yeah. Especially if you romance Anders, like... That's kind of the thing. It's like if you romance Jack, you never get to see Miranda at her best and vice versa. Same thing here. So I bet I'll like Anders by the end of that episode. But right now I'm like, no. As long as I, as long as Anders makes you go, okay, I like him a little bit more now than I did before the research, then I think we will have both won Dragon Age. Mm. That's why I like doing these because we would have never known. How can you play enough times to get, unless you intentionally play every kind of way, which some people have time for, but I don't. Right. And you come in to a playthrough with all of the decisions that you want to make. Like, I want to know how this dialogue is going to turn out if I choose this, this, and this option. You're not necessarily paying attention to the romance dialogue each time or... You are going to romance Solus every time that you play Inquisition. You're just going to make a couple other choices throughout the game to make it a little bit more interesting, you know? Uh, so this show really makes it so that way we get to experience the playthrough without spending 60 hours on it. <laughs> yeah. And to me, it's almost like the writers who put all this time and effort into these characters, like... I hope that they are excited by this kind of thing, you know, because like a player playing one way, they'll never get to know someone's work. Literally, like, it's so cool just to look at him. I'm sure I'll like, I know he's a cat guy, so I'm sure I'll like Anders. He already has 
points for that. There's cat conversation in like three or four different scenes that I can think of. So yeah, there's that. I don't know if you got any final Fenris thoughts. Should we wrap it up for the night? I mean, if anyone who sounded like Fenris said, I'll gladly walk into that future by your side, I'm like, you know that how to train your dragon scene where she's like, take me. <sighs> That's me. <laughs> it's like Garrus. When I heard that, it reminded me of Garrus. And so anything that reminds me of Garrus is like, win. All right. I agree. That voice can definitely take me. I'm still undecided on Fenris as a person, though, on whether or not I would actually let him take me. That's fair, okay? He's got a lot of baggage. He's got a lot of trauma. I will say, when I first met my husband, I looked in my husband's eyes, and he's got some shit. And I was like, am I ready to take this on? And then I was. And now we're married, and we've been together for 10 years. So, like, that's just my natural state. Is I'm like, who are you? Are you, are you wounded? I will heal you. <laughs> I'd call it a toxic trait, but it worked out with my husband, so I don't know. Your toxic trait is treating people? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me in the Cyberpunk Lorecast channel with my co-host Toasty and, of course, in our Two Girls One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. Come give us a follow on all the social medias, and you can find us by typing out the entire freaking words of patreon.com slash two girls, one ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own Two Girls, One Ship Discord server, where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Wednesdays and Fridays, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time, or watch the YouTube video a few days after the stream. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays, because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening, and remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. <laughs>